Berry Kolbo's Salmonella Struck Factory to resume operations in August. Berry Kolbo will restart operations of its chocolate factory in Belgium in early August, after being forced to close due to a salmonella outbreak at the location. As detailed in a recent report, on June 27, Berry Kolbo's Belgian factory in Wies closed its doors after a batch of lecithin, an ingredient widely used in chocolate production, was discovered to have been contaminated with salmonella. The company has since announced that they have made good progress with the decontamination process. The cleaning of the chocolate lines affected by the entry of salmonella-positive lecithin in the factory in Wies, Belgium, is progressing well, said a spokesperson of Barry Colbo. Full operations will not resume right away, however, with the company choosing to restart production on select lines to begin with. The first cleaned chocolate lines are foreseen to restart production as of early August 2022, with a gradual ramp-up to full capacity over the following weeks. Barry Colbo confirmed that they informed the Belgian food safety authorities of the outbreak immediately upon discovery, and are continuing to collaborate with them to resolve the issue. Customers who may have received affected product batches have also been informed, in an attempt to reduce the spread to wider consumers. Food safety is paramount for the group, and this is an exceptional incident. Not only does Barry Colbo have a food safety charter and procedure in place, but also over 230 colleagues working on food safety and quality in Europe, and over 650 worldwide. At the site in Wies, employees are trained to recognize food safety risks. This allowed the teams to quickly identify the risk and initiate the root cause analysis, said the company spokesperson. Barry Colbo runs an estimated 60 production facilities globally, employing over 12,500 people and generating annual sales of approximately 7.9 billion US dollars. Fair Trade partners with Earthworm Foundation to tackle deforestation. Fair Trade International and Fair Trade Africa have teamed up with the non-profit organization, the Earthworm Foundation, in a partnership that is geared towards monitoring and assessing the environment for deforestation and other potential risks. The collaboration will launch its first project using the Earthworm Foundation and Airbus-owned satellite monitoring tool, Starling. The technology will allow them to capture important data relating to deforestation in the fair trade cooperatives, as well as their smallholder cocoa farmers in Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire. The project aims to bring greater access to risk management data for the cooperatives and smallholders working with fair trade. This data could prove crucial in maintaining ties to the European markets going forward, as the European Commission is pushing for legislation that will ban the import of commodities linked to deforestation. We are thrilled to announce this landmark partnership, that will explore how powerful data sets can be leveraged by cooperatives and their members, for their own risk analysis processes, and in alignment with expected government regulation against deforestation, not just in the European Union but also in the United Kingdom and the United States, said John Walker, senior advisor for COCO, Fairtrade International. Fairtrade has additionally suggested that the legislation against deforestation include fairness and social justice as core elements. While the new legislation has been written with the intention to limit access to the European markets for cocoa sourced from areas of deforestation or unethical farming practices, there is a danger in its current form that the law will exclude some smallholder farmers who can't show that they have complied. 
Without access to the technology and data required to satisfy the new obligations, they may be excluded from the key market of the European Union. If this was to happen, it would potentially have the opposite effect of what the legislators wanted, by diminishing their livelihoods and pushing them toward unregulated farming. Therefore, to uphold the good intentions of the legislation, the accessibility of tools for farmers, especially those without access to substantial resources, must be an urgent consideration. The partnership between Fairtrade and the Earthworm Foundation will ensure that smallholder farmers are provided with some of the necessary tools to enable them to adhere to the legislation's requirements. This partnership will finally direct the transfer of deforestation risk data in a meaningful way to cooperatives and their members in Côte d'Ivoire and Ghana using the principles of fair data. In this manner, we can ensure that those with the least power in the supply chains have access to this critical data and can use it to improve their livelihoods and beneficially impact their communities, said John Walker, senior advisor for COCO, Fairtrade International. Rob McWilliam, director of technical services at Earthworm Foundation, expressed his excitement at working with Fairtrade International and Fairtrade Africa. We look forward to proving our experience and knowledge of using Starling's land cover and forest cover change datasets to tackle deforestation and support actions for addressing environmental vulnerabilities. We are also excited to be working further with farmers and their organizations to develop fit-for-purpose tools to enhance their work on the ground. The sustainability platform Swisco announced that Starbucks had become their latest member, raising the profile of the organization. Starbucks may sell a lot of coffee, but it doesn't actually consider itself a coffee company. They say they want to be a customer's third place, a definition which expands their ambition beyond coffee. In fact, according to the company's Global Environmental and Social Impact Report 2021, Starbucks used 10,000 tons of cocoa beans in a range of products sold worldwide last year. I have conflicting views about Starbucks. The company seems inextricably tied to the culture set out by its current interim CEO, Howard Schultz. Schultz cuts an avuncular figure who talks earnestly about ethical issues. But not everyone agrees that their public statements are borne out by their actions. I am watching Schultz's masterclass on business leadership. He speaks like a somewhat boring but pleasant uncle who lets you benefit from his experience. Dressed in a gray, green jumper and an open shirt, Two of the 13 videos are dedicated to ethical topics. Values and profits, and, hire a values-based team. The ethical lecture seems a little incongruent, with the dubious tactics Starbucks has deployed recently in its attempts to quell a growing demand by its employees to form unions. So, what does the company's track record for sustainability look like? Starbucks has a global farmer fund and farmer support, all of which aim to provide support to the company's producers and strengthen all three pillars of sustainability in the coffee chain. Additionally, the cornerstone of the company's ethical sourcing approach to buying coffee is Coffee Farmer and Equity CAFE, practices, which was one of the coffee industry's first set of ethical sourcing standards when it launched in 2004. Swisco Announcement However, if you Google the question, is Starbucks sustainable, you will get a feed full of articles from the company itself a sign that their SEO department is earning its money, but also a few independent articles that conclude, for various reasons, that Starbucks is better at promoting sustainability than implementing it. Examples include links to deforestation in Peru and slavery in Brazil. 
However, I do not think the authors of these critical articles take into account the size of the company. When you are as big as Starbucks, with over 34,000 shops worldwide, sheer size means two things. One, you are limited to working with providers who can deliver at your scale. Two, sometimes, because of the numbers involved, you will get it wrong. Starbucks sources most of its beans from Cargill, its tier 1 supplier, which itself does not have a particularly good sustainability record, but when it comes to cocoa in bulk, the options are even more limited. I would like to know what Starbucks pays for its cocoa. The company says it wants to be more transparent. They say in their Global Environmental and Social Impact Report 2021. Moving forward, we are working to provide additional transparency across all cocoa-based products sourced across the company globally. Unfortunately, trying to follow the links in the report on Cargill's cocoa sourcing leads to a broken web link, so I could not find out if this figure is disclosed. However, I did find that the company avoided the Rainforest Alliance's misleading mass balancing in order to obtain certification, opting for the more expensive segregated certification, which means that all cocoa is verified to the source. At the very least, Starbucks could bring new thinking and apply the expertise of the work already done in the coffee industry to cocoa through the Swissco platform. I hope they keep regular updates, refrain from marketing gimmicks and are as transparent as possible about what actually works. Volume versus price, shifting consumer behavior towards chocolate, post-pandemic. New data indicates that consumers in Europe and the United States are reducing chocolate consumption post-pandemic as a result of the cost-of-living crisis. Speaking with Reuters, Hershey's vice president of investor relations, Melissa Poole, said that chocolate prices have risen in the high single-digit, low-double-digit range over recent months and retail sales volumes have seen a 2-3% dip as a result. We are expecting that as we move through the year, we will see a bit of pullback in volume, she stated, commenting that prior to the recent price increases, consumers haven't really reduced consumption much at all. In the US and Europe, the pandemic saw chocolate consumption surge, as people adapted to their new homebody lifestyles, buying their cocoa comforts in bulk with government financial aid. Now, however, as consumers are faced with rising living costs, chocolate companies are noticing a shift towards individual chocolate bars instead of multipacks. Market researchers at IRI in Chicago noted that the U.S. saw a 1.5% decline in the volume of chocolate sold compared to a year ago, in the 13 weeks leading up to June 12, as prices rose by 8.2%. In contrast, data from the IRI also highlighted that store-brand chocolate, which typically costs less than name-brand chocolate, saw a sales increase of 8% in the last six months. We're going to see chocolate becoming more sensitive to price. Consumers will treat themselves, but it will be smaller sizes, a small treat. That's why you're seeing volume decline, said Daniel Sadler, Client Insights Principal, IRI. Similarly, in Britain, London-based consultancy firm McKinsey found that in the six-week run-up to mid-May, 40% of Brits had opted for cheaper confectionery products over their usual purchases. Cheaper chocolate usually has a lower cocoa content, meaning that the trend toward more cost-effective snacking could negatively impact cocoa demand. Poole points out that value can look different from person to person. For those who have the money and have the space to store bigger bags, value to them is the cheaper price per pound. Value to others might be something accessible to me at an absolute lower price point, said Melissa Poole, Vice President of Investor Relations, Hershey's.
chocolate producers also face increased costs, exacerbating the challenge of making their products more accessible to cash-strapped customers. Some brands have responded with shrinkflation, a term used to describe the downsizing of a product while the price remains the same. Waitrose reported that sales of chocolate brands perceived as ethical were also on the rise, with Montezuma and Tony's Chocolate Only seeing 52% and 35% sales boosts, respectively, in the past year. Mondelez, the makers of Cadbury chocolate, has also made the decision to slightly reduce the weight of certain products, according to spokesperson Tracy No. In the UK, for example, the popular Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate bars are now smaller than before. Jane Goodson, a confectionery buyer at UK supermarket Waitrose said, generally speaking, trading for chocolate is moving back to pre-pandemic patterns, with people thinking more about gifting and buying into individual grab-and-go products again. Like all food businesses, we are seeing significant input cost rises, but we're doing our best to maintain affordability for consumers. Packaging, labor, raw materials, notably sugar, milk cacao liquor but not cacao butter, and logistics, have all increased in price, said Ben Greensmith, UK and Ireland country manager, Tony's Chocolately. It appears that consumers still have a sweet tooth for chocolate, and the demand for ethically produced chocolate is by no means dwindling. However, pricing will hold even more weight going forward, as people look for ways to cut living costs.